Arrests made in the murder of Reputaman Singh Malik, the young men facing charges, and reaction from Malik's family. Plus, a chilling account of what happened in Langley. My brother did not know this individual at all. New details about the moments just before one man was killed in that shocking shooting spree. And a homeless woman targeted on the downtown east side. She, she was a victim of opportunity. Somebody saw her and they just targeted her and you know what, it's outrageous. The horrific attack sending fear through members of the marginalized community. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Two young men have been charged with first-degree murder in the shooting death of Raputaman Singh Malik. Malik, who was acquitted in the 1985 Air India bombings, was shot several times in Surrey on July 14th. Our Kamal Karamali is live in Surrey with more on what we are learning about those arrested. Kamal? These two arrested uh, and these arrests come just two weeks, uh, j uh, rather nearly two weeks after Raputaman Singh Mullik was killed in a Surrey neighborhood. Now, 21-year-old Tanner Fox and 23-year-old Jose Lopez have been charged with first-degree murder, both arrested at their residences yesterday. Fox in Abbotsford and Lopez in New Westminster. Both were known to police. Court records show a long rap sheet for both men with the same name. Now, Fox convicted as recently as April for resisting a peace officer. And in 2019, he spent months behind bars for a stabbing incident. Lopez was charged last summer for nine criminal counts, including possession of and pointing a firearm. Mullick was shot multiple times on July 14th in a business industrial area. The controversial businessman was most notably known for being charged in the 1985 Air India bombings that killed 331 people. Most of them were from Toronto and Vancouver. He was acquitted of murder and conspiracy charges in 2005. Shortly after the shooting, police released video of a suspect vehicle. They now say that white SUV was recognized by the public, which eventually led to the arrest. But the investigation is still open. It's very difficult 13 days in, as these investigations sometimes takes years to develop. Uh, and that's why in these initial stages, uh, the swift reaction of all of our teams coming together was amazing work to identify these individuals and uh, charge them. I don't think I want to say anything to them. I mean, I, 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 feel, I feel sad because, you know, these are two young people probably who had great potential and somewhere along the lines they fell off that path to being productive members of Canadian society. And I'm sure that's not what their parents wanted for them. And so I, I, I feel sad that that, that, that happened. Kamal, did uh, Malik's family indicate whether they knew the suspects who were arrested? Right. Uh, Sophie, uh, the family said that they've never heard of the names Fox or Lopez before and are still very curious as to why someone would want Malik dead at the age of 75, no less. Uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, police say they can't say right now in this point in the investigation if there is some sort of relationship between the suspects and Mullick or whether there are more suspects involved, just that as the investigation progresses, uh, it will remain open and they're open to the idea of more suspects uh, being brought in uh, for questioning. Back over to you. 
All right, interesting. Thanks for that. Kamal Karmali reporting for us in Surrey tonight. Now, the two suspects charged in Raputaman Singh Malik's death are just the latest young men arrested in connection with recent murders in Metro Vancouver. As Richard Zussman reports, the founder of a nonprofit organization working to keep kids away from a violent lifestyle says this is a growing trend. Carol DeSange has seen this all before. I believe that this is a common trend that's occurring across the world right now where you're seeing younger and younger individuals that are getting involved in the gang and drug life. Recent shootings in Whistler, Langley and Surrey, now with a total of five suspects. Not all related to gangs, but all men, all in their 20s, a majority in their early 20s. There's a sense of them being feeling disenfranchised. Uh, essentially what it is, is youth are always looking for some kind of anchor. And when they don't find that anchor, it's that typical uh, rebellion and teenage angst, uh, which results in these kids seeking that kind of destructive and violent behavior. This destructive behavior is just part of the trend. Desange founded Kids Play Foundation to engage youth with community and sport and move them away from gangs. But the challenge is providing the highs of intense violence. These kids are looking for quick money and they like that fast lifestyle which comes with that but on the other side of the equation that acceptance that identity where you feel like you're part of something bigger than you and that that brotherhood for this group of suspects and many others the decisions eventually catch up a reality is the end is either arrest or death that's the the end of the road that's you're going to get when you're a kid involved in this stuff right kids just aren't figuring it out that what goes around comes around. People deserve to feel safe in their communities. All levels of government along with community groups have invested millions of dollars to help young people avoid what comes around using one constant message. Anyone thinking they will make millions of dollars in a life of crime and get out unscathed is fooling themselves. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, Global News has learned of a major development involving an undercover police training program. Earlier this year, we told you about some disturbing behavior that allegedly occurred during the B.C. Municipal Police Chief's undercover training program. Now, as Catherine Urquhart reports, a criminal investigation is underway. A warning, some of the content of this story may be troubling. The undercover police training course happened at a downtown Vancouver hotel in May. About two dozen officers from various B.C. policing agencies took part in the training, which was apparently so disturbing, some officers reported it to their supervisors. Soon after, a Police Act investigation was launched. Now Global News has confirmed that a criminal investigation is underway. It was ordered in just the past few days by B.C.'s Director of Police Services. During the B.C. Municipal Undercover Training Course, officers were asked to role-play and show how they might convince those on the wrong side of the law that they weren't police officers. In one instance, this allegedly involved defecation on another individual, food used in a sexual manner, along with other even more perverse acts. just sounds disgusting uh, if those allegations are in fact correct. Um, that's just appalling, frankly. 
In an email, the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner said it has ordered the disciplinary investigation into the alleged conduct to be suspended pursuant to Section 179.1 of the Police Act to avoid any prejudice to a criminal investigation or prosecution. It's believed the criminal investigation will be done by members of the RCMP. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. We're hearing new details tonight about the Langley shooting rampage from one of the victim's brothers. Paul Wynn, known as Small Paul, was one of the two people killed in the early hours of Monday. His brother John doesn't believe his sibling was targeted, only that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Global's Travis Prasad reports. He was a godchild. He was amazing. John Wynn can't believe his big brother Paul is gone. He was just unbelievable. He, everyone. Oh, you want me to, want me to fix your, your engine? Boom, I'll, take, I'll, I'll build your engine. I'll do your brakes. So, you know, anything. It's just the way we were raised to take care of other people. Paul Wynn was killed outside of Creekstone Place supportive housing on Monday, the victim of a shooting spree that left two dead and injured two others. The 60-year-old had lived at Creekstone for the past three years. He struggled with addiction, but his family says he was doing better in recent years. He did have a home. He was not homeless. He had a beautiful room. He had a beautiful setting and everything. He didn't deserve to go out this way. The shooting happened around 3 a.m. Wynn says it wasn't unusual for his brother to tend to the garden late at night. This individual came up, talked to my brother. Do I know you? No, I don't know you. Tried to get into the building. Couldn't get into the building, walked to my brother and shot him point blank. He, from what I hear, he literally emptied the entire clip, which is in his gun, to my brother. Wynn doesn't believe the shooter was targeting homeless people, and he doesn't think gun control is the issue. He says his brother might still be alive if there were better mental health supports for people like the suspect. The government needs to step up, plain and simple. This is not going to go away. We don't want anybody's apologies anymore. A call for action so no one else feels the pain and frustration his family now lives with. Someone's son, someone's daughter. Travis Prasad, Global News. Vancouver police are looking for the suspect in a horrendous attack on a homeless woman. As the Madagahi reports, advocates for the vulnerable say it's another graphic example of the dangers of life on the street today. The amount of vitriol... um, against homeless and poor people is very real. A 50-year-old woman is in hospital and medically sedated. She was attacked at 1.30 in the morning Monday at Dunleavy Street and Powell Avenue in Vancouver's downtown east side. A stranger to her came up to her, poured some sort of flammable substance on her and lit her uh, head on fire. On the same morning, another arson targeting a homeless person. This time, it was their temporary shelter lit on fire at Columbia and Fifth Avenue. No one should ever have to be uh, made to feel that their life, their personal belongings are at risk. So it's obviously uh, very shocking, very heartbreaking. Both attacks coming at a time of heightened concerns for the safety of those living on the streets especially after the deadly shooting in Langley earlier this week that appeared to target the vulnerable population. I think that's just absolutely outrageous. You know, like, it makes me angry. Homeless people, they're being targeted. Living in tents or living, you know, outdoors in homelessness, um, 
you're increasing their vulnerability right away. Advocates say what's putting these members of society in unsafe situations is simply the fact they are unhoused. This situation was created because there's a lack of housing, a lack of affordable housing. It wasn't created by the people that are down here. It's a situation that they have to live with. This a little bit more relatively new issue of people being lit on fire is extremely concerning. Um, it's happened before. Yes. And one time it was caught on surveillance video on the sidewalk of the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. Housing and mental health supports, we have to pull all the stops out and look for absolutely dramatic uh, ways to move this along much, much faster. People's lives are ap absolutely in the balance. Police can't be sure yet if the two incidents Monday morning are related and why the suspects, who are described differently, would target people already in a helpless position. Emadagahi, Global News. Vancouver City Council has approved a social housing project in Kitsilano after nine hours of public speakers. The proposed location of the 13-story building is on Arbutus Street between 7th and 8th and near a future SkyTrain station. It's also across the street from an elementary school, which is why many speakers came out against it. The building will include 129 studio apartments for low-income people and those who are experiencing homelessness. I'm glad to hear that this, it sounds like this housing will uh, move forward. It's incredibly important. And I, uh, I hope these new neighbors are well received and well supported and set up for success. The neighborhood was hoping for a building that would be social housing, that would help out seniors that are having to leave the area, single parent families, people with disabilities, to make it very inclusive. This will not be an inclusive building. Yeah, council didn't listen. That's what I'm upset about. Like, when does our voice count? The majority voice count. It doesn't seem to happen in the city anymore. During the hearing on Monday evening, Mayor Kennedy Stewart suggested BC Housing would revoke its funding for the project if the proposal was altered in any way. BC Housing did not dispute the mayor's claim. Rage on the Vetter River. Shocking video of an assault on the shoreline and why some fear something worse is inevitable. That's next on the News Hour. The woman behind this powerful moment during the Pope's visit, what she was actually singing, and her message to the pontiff afterward. That's coming up later. Plus, it probably took us about two hours to find it. Ron Toigo on the experience of a lifetime, his trip to see the Titanic, and what tipped them off that they were close to spotting the wreck. That's still to come. Right now, though, a disturbing attack by boaters on a fisherman in Chilliwack that was caught on video has a local First Nations councillor warning of a tragedy waiting to happen. Kylie Stanton reports. It's a spot so peaceful, visitors come from all over to experience it but the Sahelis people call it home. It's actually right on our, our reserve lands. This is where our members are supposed to feel safe and uh, come out and enjoy, you know, the summer activity. Incidents like this are making that increasingly more difficult. This past Sunday, an angler who wishes to remain anonymous captured this video. It shows a jet boat speeding into this narrow stretch of the Vetter River before hitting the brakes and stopping on shore. What happened next has left the community shaken. They all jumped out, they all rushed, and then they proceeded to beat the guy 
till he went down on the ground and hit him a few more times and then and then jumped back on their boat and left. The man attacked was treated in hospital for minor injuries and has since been released. Chilliwack RCMP has launched an investigation and has received several tips as to who may have been involved, but there are still questions. We all know that video only shows part of it, and what we're trying to piece together uh, through the investigation is uh, the events that may have led up to this altercation as well. Felix says this is not the first time he's encountered these particular boaters. The guy got confrontational and tried to approach me, tried to swim across the river to have a physical or verbal altercation. And while this was an especially violent incident, the problem has been ongoing for years, not only compromising one of the province's largest salmon spawning tributaries, but also posing a serious safety issue. A disaster or a tragedy is imminent. You know, I, we really need to do something. The First Nation is now in the process of developing signage to warn boaters of the risks, ideally preventing them from accessing the area altogether. But what it really comes down to is respect. You go to somebody's place and you, you do things properly. And that's, you know, that's, that's all we want. It's disheartening when, uh, you know, we feel invaded of our, you know, privacy to our rights to our beautiful tributaries like this. Um, you know, it's uh, not a good feeling. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, it has been another scorcher around the province today. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now for a look at when we might see some relief from this heat. Christy. Sophie, we broke 14 records across the province, bulk of them across the south coast yesterday to light. Today, we'll likely see seven or eight, and I'll show you some of the numbers coming up, but that was mainly in through the interior. But yes, everyone wants to know when will we get relief? Well, today we saw highs away from the water in Metro Vancouver, 33, 34 degrees. Here's a look. We'll likely see those temperatures through until Sunday. So for another four days, we're going to experience this type of heat. It's not till Monday that we'll start to see relief. Meanwhile, those of you in the interior as well, through Sunday, you can expect highs ranging from 37 to 39 degrees. Monday, you'll start to see relief. And we've always talked about, Sophie, also the overnight temperature. Tonight, we'll likely see a low of only 20 degrees away from the water in Metro Vancouver. It could be another uncomfortable night. All right. Talk to you in a few minutes. Thanks, Christy. Tragedy on the new Westminster Burnaby border. They were just struck by the suspect vehicle. Um, they had no idea. Coming up, two people killed and two arrested. What led to the fatal crash and why the Independent Investigations Office is now involved. Plus, travel chaos potentially going from bad to worse. The strike vote that could add to frustrations for passengers in and out of YVR. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge with just a little bit of leftover volume westbound on Highway 1 out of Vancouver approaching the Cassiar Tunnel. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Global BC presents the 30th Annual Honda Celebration of Life. Join us this summer to explore the festival, save your spot, then see the skies come alive. Honda Celebration of Life, July 23rd, 27th, and 30th in partnership with Global BC. Two people are dead and two others in custody after an overnight crash along the New Westminster-Burnaby border. It all happened shortly after police attempted to pull over a man who was known to them. As Catherine Urquhart reports, B.C.'s police watchdog is now investigating. 
a white Nissan Altima with a crushed front end, is now key evidence in two investigations. Tuesday night, it was involved in a double fatal crash in New Westminster. Metro Vancouver Transit Police say they tried to stop the Nissan's driver, but they sped off, crashing into this black Toyota Yaris, which caught on fire, killing its two occupants. The driver of the Sussex vehicle, which is the white vehicle that you saw in the pictures, that person and that vehicle's passenger, so a male and a female, were arrested. They were all still on scene of the accident when officers arrived. Police say the attempted traffic stop happened at 11 p.m. on 10th Avenue and 2nd Street. They say the suspect vehicle continued west on 10th and the collision occurred four blocks later at 10th Avenue and 6th Street. Transit police say they're continuing to investigate, assisted by Burnaby RCMP's Serious Crimes Unit. The suspect that uh, was arrested, he is known to police and the passenger is uh, not known to police. We are recommending charges of prohibited driving, um, dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death and um, fail to stop for police. BC's Independent Investigations Office is also investigating what occurred. Among the questions they'll consider, was there a chase? So that's exactly the types of questions that we're going to want to uh, pursue. Um, oftentimes with attempted traffic stops, there is very little chase or there might be a short pursuit or, or whatever. And um, we need to determine what did happen in this case. Anyone who witnessed the crash or has dash cam video is asked to contact Metro Vancouver Transit Police. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Police have seized more than $8 million worth of drugs and more than $170,000 in cash in an investigation into Lower Mainland gang activity. The investigation, dubbed Project Tint, was done by Vancouver Police and the RCMP over the last several months. Officers say search warrants were executed in New Westminster and Port Moody last week, and it's believed the seizure will create a dent in drug sales and distribution. We definitely think it'll be a sizable dent uh, and one that will be noticeable. Um, you know, definitely when we're dealing with substances like fentanyl uh, and cocaine, when we've seen the illicit drug market tainted uh, by, you know, benzodiazepines and other illicit substances, um, you know, we're very mindful uh, of making an impact, especially around, you know, toxic drug supply. So we're hopeful that this will have a significant impact. Two suspects were taken into custody, but no charges have been laid yet. However, police believe several charges, including counts related to trafficking and drug paraphernalia, are pending. The Transportation Safety Board is investigating a plane crash late yesterday at the Pitt Meadows Airport. Crews are repairing a large section of fence at the airport. The piper went down short of the runway in a grassy area, clipping the fence as it came down, the nose gear collapsing as the plane landed hard in the grass. The Transportation Safety Board will piece together what went wrong. Another potential setback for air travel in Canada. Airline catering workers at YVR have issued 72-hour strike notice. Unionized workers at Gate Gourmet provide in-flight meals and duty-free items for dozens of airlines at Vancouver International, including Air Canada, Air France and KLM. The strike notice follows what Unite Here Local 40 says has been a series of fruitless bargaining sessions. The union says staffing levels have failed to return to pre-pandemic levels, leaving employees overworked and underpaid. Coming up, the song that echoed across the country. No, that's not O Canada. The singer behind this powerful moment sets the record straight.
Also ahead, the daily grind. How two weeks of pandemic stress could be putting painful pressure on your teeth. Steady traffic in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight. Uh, just a little leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Pope Francis has offered a second apology to residential school survivors, this time acknowledging the role Catholic institutions played in trying to eradicate Indigenous culture. This apology coming after meetings with the Prime Minister and the Governor-General, beginning the pontiff's second leg of what he has called a pilgrimage of penance. Global's Kyle Benning has more. Canada's head of state shaking hands with the head of the Catholic Church as the pontiff's tour traveled east. Pope Francis met with Governor General Mary Simon at the Citadel of Quebec, alongside the Prime Minister, who thanked the pontiff for his commitment to learning about Canada's residential school system. You always offered your time, genuinely seeking to understand, to do right, and to atone. Speaking in his native Spanish, the Pope apologized for a second time on Canadian soil, again asking for forgiveness for the role local Catholic institutions played in the deplorable system that separated children from their families. Canada's first Indigenous Governor-General took the opportunity to speak Anuktitut and add on to words the pontiff said earlier this week. You said that reconciliation is a grace that must be sought. To that, I would also add that reconciliation is a grace that must be earned. Following that meeting, the Pope visited supporters, some who had been waiting for hours to hear him speak at the Plains of Abraham. Pope Francis is set to hold a holy mass of reconciliation on Thursday before ending his Canadian tour in a Calouet Friday. Kyle Benning, Global News. And one of the moments still being talked about during the Pope's visit so far followed his apology on Monday. A woman's voice could be heard singing over the crowd. It sounded to many like, oh Canada, but there was a deeper message behind her performance. Global's Heather Urex west has her story. A fist raised to the sky, a woman's voice carrying over the crowd in song. This was Muscatchee's Monday, the first day of the papal tour. Moments earlier, Pope Francis had apologized for generations of cruelty and harm. But then, only that voice, its strength and undeniable emotion. To many, it sounded like O Canada, the language to those who know it, unmistakably Cree. Her eyes seem to reveal so much pain, the final notes building to a deep cry. This wasn't part of the program. And then, still before the Pope, the woman shouts, her words carrying so much passion. And I turned my back, I said, hi, hi, and I shook it off. That's enough because I wouldn't let it hurt me anymore. Her name is Sapiko, and she says what she sang in Mascochis wasn't the Canadian anthem at all. No, that's not O Canada, that's our village in the language of the four winds. After the song, I spoke the law to him, the law of these lands. 
And hereby served a spoken law. We, the daughters of the Great Spirit and our tribal sovereign members, cannot be coarsened to any law or treaty that is not the Great Law. We have appointed chiefs on our territories. Convert yourselves accordingly. Her spontaneous moment of courage has been met with praise from both those who were there and the millions more who watched from afar. Sipiko says the pain she felt that day was shared and not hers alone. When she finished, she let that pain go. Yeah, it felt powerful. Everybody that was hurting through these residential schools, everybody that shared their stories with me, that's who I shook my fringes to free them from all the pain. That's what I felt. A deeply personal unburdening, still echoing across Canada and around the world. Heather Urich's West Global News, Edmonton. In Health Matters tonight, dental specialists are concerned about the growing number of patients they're seeing with cracked teeth. Global's Carolyn Curry de Castillo has more on what they believe is behind it and when it all started. As an endodontist, Dr. Aaron McKenzie specializes in diagnosing and treating cracked teeth. The Calgary dental specialist says over the past two and a half years, she's seen an alarming increase. It is significant that we are unaware what we're doing to our teeth, and I've seen um, a massive increase in this, and it's really, really sad. She attributes the increase to stress that's leading to more grinding, both while people are sleeping and awake. The other problem is patients are letting small problems morph into cracked teeth. People are avoiding or delaying going to the dentist, and what may have initially been a small chip or crack in a tooth propagates down the root and results in a completely split tooth, and um, then the tooth needs to be removed. Uh, where otherwise it may have been saved with a crown. She says cracks in teeth can progress slowly over the years with people unaware of the damage. Endodontists use 3D imaging that allows them to precisely evaluate the tooth so they can pick up on cracks earlier. If these things are left untreated, um, it can result in significant pain and bone loss. And, and it is very noticeably increased um, since the pandemic started. Dentists recommend using relaxation techniques and to use a mouth guard. Botox injections are also used in the jaw muscles, and in some cases, braces are recommended to fix the bite alignment. While measures like mouth guards can cost over $500, the cost of not preventing the problem is enough to lead to more stress. Earlier is always better, and from a financial standpoint, it... it, it going to be less expensive for the person too. According to a study in the Journal of Clinical Research and Dentistry, identification of bruxism or teeth grinding can present a challenge for dental professionals and often goes unnoticed until tooth fractures occur. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Still to come tonight, a journey to the bottom of the sea. The most unique trip of a lifetime, that's for sure. Ron Toygo's amazing adventure to the Titanic. That's later. And just ahead, breaking up the barge. After months on the beach, crews finally make progress.
It's been a fixture near Vancouver Sunset Beach for eight months now, loved and loathed, and now a big chunk of that beached barge is finally gone. Crews have dismantled a large section of the giant structure that ended up there as a result of a wild storm back in November. The city says the whole process will take around three to four months to complete. Several earlier attempts to remove it proved fruitless. Since its arrival, the barge has been the subject of numerous selfies and countless debates about whether it should stay or go. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon uh, with another look at our weather forecast. And definitely that heat at night is not super helpful, Christy. No, it just doesn't allow your body to get that reprieve. And you think a lot of people in apartments or areas that may not get a breeze, uh, that can be really pretty tough to handle. So definitely a time that you need to take a cool bath right before you go to bed and really drop your core temperature. We broke records today. We don't have the official numbers, but here's a look at a few just to give you a perspective. In the interior is really where we saw the heat trail hitting 38.2, Castlegar 38, Squamish 37.1, and Vernon 36.5. I think we'll start, probably see seven or eight of them uh, when we get the official numbers from Environment Canada. The hot spot was Coquitlam across the lower mainland at 34 degrees and I am expecting similar temperatures again tomorrow. Port Alberni and Nanaimo hit 33 degrees. Again, we'll likely see similar temperatures tomorrow. The hot spot across Canada was in Lytton at 41.7 degrees. You can see it as 42 there. It's just rounded up. Uh, but 39 in through Kamloops, the Soyuz 38, certainly a hot one. And again, we're expecting this heat to last through uh, Sunday. Just to give you a perspective, if you want to find a place that's cool, urban heat island effect is a definitely it's something. You can sometimes see a difference in temperature by 10 degrees in and around buildings where there is uh, some emissions from cars. That adds to the heat. Whereas if you go away from that to trees, water, and grassy areas, more rural areas, that's where you'll see cooler conditions. So that's another way that you can find a way to get yourself to keep yourself cool. Lots of sunshine across the board tomorrow. There is a risk of thunderstorms in the Okanagan Valley. Caribou region, though, tomorrow afternoon, these would be isolated. We are concerned about further fires. Be careful when you're out there uh, enjoying the great outdoors. Don't uh, ignite any unnecessary fires with lightning, potentially in the forecast tomorrow. We could see more ignited, that's for sure. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Port McNeil. Anthony sharing this from earlier today. These are what you call lenticular clouds, Sophie. They kind of look like UFOs, but uh, they're absolutely stunning, as you can see here, and it's basically a wave in the air and when the little the peak of the wave occurs that's when you get condensation and cloud to uh, 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 development and then it sort of drops down on the other sides and dissipates all right back to you they look like ufos to me that's for sure all right thank you christy well we've seen a lot of videos of orcas off the bc coast but it's not often we see so many so close <laughs> Global viewer Corey Wallace sent us this video of a whole lot of resident orcas off Haida Gwaii. He says they counted 24 in two separate pods. Wallace says they were fishing when they saw the whales breaching in the distance. They pulled in their lines, stopped their boat and waited. And they ended up right in the whale's path. The patience paid off. Mm -hmm. Quite a scene. <laughs> All uh, right. Exciting night at BC Place last night. That was Squire. a great game last night. It really mm -hmm. was. I mean, it had pretty much everything you'd want in a championship soccer game. And the best part of all was the Vancouver Whitecaps won. And Whitecaps head coach Vanny Sartini had an extra reason to be very happy about winning the Canadian championship last night.
on a personal note, it's the first trophy that I win. So, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really happy. So I'm really happy. It led him to do some Cirque du Soleil moves and also channel his inner magic mic. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Thanks, Squire. Also ahead tonight, definitely not your average vacation photos. A trip to the Titanic later. consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Vanny Sartini is a delight. Yes, he is actually. He's just he you know, I think fun. we're blessed right now in terms of coaches in Vancouver mm-hmm. because we have Vanny Sartini and we have Bruce Boudreaux who are both fun to listen to. Yeah. They are exuberant about what they do. They love what they do. They're passionate, as Marsha just said in my ear. It's good as well. It's a good word. They're all the above. Uh, the trophy case at the Whitecaps head office is not exactly runneth over with cups, which is one of the reasons that Vancouver really wanted a new one to put in that trophy case. And last night they got a new one when they won the Voyagers Cup in a penalty kick shootout over Toronto FC, which had won the Canadian Championship eight times in their history. For Vancouver, this was just its second Canadian title, and the Whitecaps won it in a game that really had everything you would want in a championship game. There was lots of action end-to-end, lots of chances, plenty of drama because of the penalty kicks, and there were a lot of fans at BC Place as well, 24,307 to be exact. It is Blackman on his right! Champions again! For the first time since 2015, Vancouver wins the Battle of the North! We said from day one that uh, the Canadian Championship was one of our important trophy. We didn't do well in the last previous years. It, it, it means everything. On a personal note, it's the first trophy that I win. So, you know, I, I'm, really, I'm really happy. So I'm really happy. Now that they've hoisted the Voyager's Cup, it's time to add some additional hardware to the franchise's trophy case. The Caps willingly sacrificed MLS points at home, dressing a weaker roster against Chicago in pursuit of winning the Canadian Championship. It's a risky proposition at the best of times, even baller stuff from a squad fighting for an MLS playoff spot. Saturday, we did all the, our choices in terms of lineup and everything because we considered this game the most important game. And uh, I think that uh, uh, we, we need to uh, realize that we did a very good thing because, you know, again, we are representing our country next year in the Champions League. It's, 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 it's an honor, to be honest. Winning the CONCACAF Champions League is still a tall order for any squad. Seattle becoming the first MLS team to win it all earlier this season. However, the path to victory is somewhat less arduous than the last time Vancouver qualified five years back. There's no group stage anymore, so that means less travel and fewer games. But that's quite a few months down the road. Next up is the Caps continuing their pursuit of an MLS playoff spot and perhaps winning another trophy and some would argue bigger championship for the club. When is the MLS Cup coming here? Uh, 
I don't know. Hopefully, the sooner the better. We're working for that. If we play like this for the next 12 games in the league, we are going into the playoff. That's that's pure and simple. The Caps will try to keep that championship form intact when they visit Nashville on Saturday. Jay Janowar, Global Sports. I wanted to show you this from yesterday. Alessia Russo of England. Watch this incredible goal against Sweden in the Euros. The back heel. No look. That is brilliant as England won this game by the score of 4 to nothing. That is ingenuity on the spur of the moment. All right, Albert Pujols, one of the great home run hitters of all time. Fifth, actually, on the list. St. Louis at Toronto. Dylan Carlson, that's an RBI double. Cards of a 1-0 lead. It's uh, two-zip when... Bo Bichette this one's gonna scores his buddy Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Third, and will come into score. So now it's 2-1. But the aforementioned Albert Pujols, that's what this man does for a living. He puts baseballs into fans' hands. 6-1 in the eighth for St. Louis. It is nice of him, isn't it? Gives people a souvenir to take home with them. The Seattle Seahawks have signed linebacker K.J. Wright to a new contract. It's one day long, a one-day contract so he can retire as a Seahawk and not retire as a Las Vegas Raider, the team he played for last season. Wright spent a decade in Seattle where he was a key part of the Legion of Boom defense. And, of course, he was one of those Seahawks that won a Super Bowl over Denver. He's now 33. He was actually hoping to maybe play one more year, and he would have loved to have done it with the Seahawks. But Seattle said, we don't mind signing you to a one-year contract, but we'd rather go with younger players for the entire season so there you go all right thanks very much squire up next some people go to hawaii for a vacation others choose an entirely different kind of journey (laughs) we'll meet a man who just got back from the titanic next Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a bizarre incident snarled traffic in Richmond this afternoon. Have a look at this video just in. Yes, a man swinging what appears to be a metal oxygen tank at random vehicles, smashing several. This was in the area of Steveson Highway and Number 5 Road. At 11, we'll hear from a witness who says she lost count of how many cars were damaged. Plus, the busy night in downtown Vancouver. Celebration of Light begins at 10. And if you don't feel like braving the crowds, we will have highlights of Team Canada's performance on Global News at 11. Sophie. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Jordan. Well, some people, when they go sightseeing, like to go to Europe, Eiffel Tower, things Mm -hmm. like that. Things that are above sea level. Yeah. Basically. Others, though? Well, Ron Toigo, we know him uh, from the white spot, from the Vancouver Giants. Mm -hmm. And now we know him as a deep sea explorer. And when I say deep sea, I mean way, way down. Very few people in the world have a vacation selfie like Ron Toigo's. This one is taken at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean with the bow of the Titanic outside the window. It's not CGI, it's real. It's always been one of those things that you're just mesmerized by for, and why, who knows. But I think just to do something that um, not many people have done or, you know, or will do. Unbelievable. In order to see the Titanic close up, Ron signed on with Ocean Gate Expeditions out of Everett, Washington 
who sent him on a four-hour dive in this five-person submersible. But when they got to the bottom of the Atlantic, the Titanic wasn't in sight. It probably took us about two hours to find it. You know where it is in general, but you move about three miles an hour down there. First thing I saw was a plate, and, and then you'd see another one, and then, so it's a debris field. And finally, uh, he, he picks it up on the sonar, and, and we can see it up there, so now we're making a beeline to it. And we come up at the starboard side of the bow. We go up and, and come around to the front of the bow, and then that's when you see that iconic picture that, 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 that's around. And, and it was pretty amazing, pretty surreal actually when, when we got to that. And then you go up to uh, where the steering wheel was mounted and there's all these plaques there from expeditions that have gone down. This was the second time that Ron went down to the bottom of the Atlantic to find the Titanic. But last year they had to go back up to the surface before they saw the ship because the sub was having mechanical issues. Well, a lot of things have to go right. And you have to pass some tests to be allowed to go down. You have to pass the physical, which, you know, if I can pass it, anybody can pass it. And, uh, and, and you can't be good if you're, you can't be claustrophobic. And like all the others who went down to see the Titanic, for Ron, it was the trip of a lifetime. Oh, no question about that. That's uh, the most unique trip of a lifetime, that's for sure. And he wore his Vancouver Giants shirt, too, on the way down as well. That's good advertising. It is good advertising. Did he see Leo and Kate? He didn't. Did he find the necklace? The heart of the ocean? Yeah. I know she threw it overboard. Yeah. When she was an old lady, but no, he didn't see that. Oh, either. right. It was okay. But if he goes down again, maybe he can look for it, yeah. <laughs> All right. Quick word on the weather, Christy. It might take him a lot more than four hours, though. All right. Lots of sunshine, dry weather. Keep yourself cool. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night, all.